Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Devin. I'm actually jumping in here while editing the episode for release on the week of the 27th. At the time of recording, this past weekend witnessed another mass shooting against the LGBTQ community. Five innocent lives were lost and dozens more were injured. My question is, what more has to be done? This marks the 601st mass shooting in the United States in 2022 alone. In a country that supposedly boasts about the freedom of expression and freedom to live your life how you want to, must certain communities of people be fearful for their lives when just simply trying to go out and have a night of fun? What more has to be done and how many more lives have to be taken until action is done? Please know that Destination Disaster stands with the LGBTQ community and condemns all forms of violence and hate. We also mourn with you for those lives lost and those injured in this most recent shooting. For the remainder of the season, any revenue generated from either ads or merchandise will be donated to an LGBTQ charity of your choice following the final episode of season four. Quite honestly, I'm just, I'm at a loss for words. No other developed nation in the world has to deal with the amount of mass shootings that people here in the country have to deal with on a near weekly basis it seems we now have to fear for our lives when walking down a street or going grocery shopping or going to the movies or just simply trying to go out and have a night of fun what more has to be done welcome back everybody this is episode 42 of destination disaster i am your host devin carney For those who live in the United States or simply enjoy Thanksgiving from around the world, I want to wish you all a happy belated Thanksgiving. A quick update for those of you who may not have listened to the last episode, but we as a show are deciding to move away from Twitter due to both the instability and the increase in racial slurs and hate speech after its recent purchase. I've started a new community over on Reddit under the name Destination Disaster. All one word. There, we can actively engage in discussions provide episode recommendations, and connect with like-minded listeners who want to learn more about disasters throughout the world in which we inhabit. Look out for the link in the show notes below and go give it a follow. Additionally, merchandise for the show is now available. If you are interested, please feel free to follow the link in the show notes. Everyone who makes their first purchase will get a 10% discount. 
This week, we're staying on trend with critical infrastructure failures here in the United States because, quite honestly, I could make an entire season out of this. This week, we're going to discuss the failure of the I-35 West Bridge in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This bridge served as a vital lifeline across the Mississippi River and provided crossings for an average of 140,000 vehicles per day. Bridges throughout the United States have a rather tumultuous history, whether that be due to structural failure, design flaw, or just straight-up neglect. According to the Infrastructure Report Card, there are approximately 614,387 bridges in the United States. 9.1% are structurally deficient. While this is an improvement against historic data, 56,000 bridges still remain in need of either remediation or a complete reconstruction. Of the 614,387 bridges in the National Bridge Inventory, almost 4 in 10, or 39%, are over 50 years or older, and an additional 15% are between the ages of 40 and 49. The average bridge in the United States is 43 years old. Most of the country's bridges were designed for a lifespan of 50 years, so an increasing number of bridges will soon need major rehabilitation or retirement. With the passing of the most recent infrastructure bill, bridges were a large focus of this bill due to the severity of these bridges and their structural challenges. Where I live is dominated by rivers weaving their way through the landscape, so most of the time that I'm driving, I'm using a bridge crossing. And most of those were built in a time when my grandparents were still in their early 20s or 30s. The bridges in my area face similar challenges, you know, such as those lifespan maximums that I just talked about. For example, the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel, which has both an eastbound and a westbound travel lane, are combined an average age of 55 years old. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel is 40 and a half years old, and the James River Bridge is 40 years old. These three crossings provide service to a vast majority of residents and tourists into the region each day. If we can't rely on these crossings to do their jobs, why is something not being done sooner to remedy these aging structures? This is why I put such a heavy emphasis on critical infrastructure in many of my episodes here on the show. Government agencies are aware of what bridges are reaching their maximum service life and continue to let motorists operate and potentially risk their lives in the process. The bridge in which we are discussing today was named the I-35 West Mississippi River Bridge, officially Bridge 9340. Design began in 1961 and construction began in 1964, leading to the final completion in 1967. Bridge 9340 was built to service the city of Minneapolis and connected the neighborhoods of Downtown East and Marcy Holmes. The company which built the bridge Verdrup and Parcel had a long, successful history of building several different bridges and structures throughout the country, some of which are two of the major bridges that I and hundreds of thousands of others use throughout my region daily. Bridge 9340 was designed by Verdrup and Parcel to 1961 specifications. The construction contracts, worth in total more than $5.2 million at the time, were initially offered to Huracan Inc. and Industrial Construction Company. Hercon expressed concern about the project, reporting that one portion of the bridge, Pier 6, could not be built as planned. After failed discussions with MnDOT, Hercon backed out of the project altogether. Construction on the bridge began in 1964, and the structure was completed and opened to traffic in 1967 during an era of large-scale projects to build the Twin Cities freeway system. When the bridge collapsed, it was still the most recent river crossing built on a new site in Minneapolis. After the building boom ebbed during the 1970s, infrastructure management shifted towards inspection and maintenance. Crazy, right? The bridge was the youngest throughout the Twin Cities area, carrying over 140,000 vehicles across it daily. So what led to the collapse? In 1996, 
the Minnesota Department of Transportation deemed Bridge 9340 to be the single most dangerous bridge in the Twin Cities freeway system, citing a major pileup due to black ice accumulation back in 1985. On December 19, 1985, the temperature reached negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit, or negative 34 degrees Celsius. Vehicles coming across the bridge experienced black ice and there was a major pileup on the bridge on the northbound side. In February and December 1996, the bridge was identified as the single most treacherous cold weather spot in the Twin Cities freeway system because of the almost frictionless layer of black ice that regularly formed when temperatures dropped below freezing. The bridge's proximity to St. Anthony's Falls contributed significantly to the icing problem and the site was noted for frequent spinouts and collisions. By January 1999, Minnesota DOT began testing magnesium chloride solutions and a mixture of magnesium chloride and a corn processing byproduct to see whether either would reduce the black ice that appeared on the bridge during the winter months. In October of 1999, the state embedded temperature-activated nozzles in the bridge deck to spray the bridge with potassium acetate solution to keep the area free of winter black ice. The system came into operation in 2000, although there were no additional major multi-vehicle collisions after the automated de-icing system was installed, it has been raised as a possibility that the potassium acetate may have contributed to the collapse of the bridge by corroding the structural support, though the NTSB's final report found that corrosion was not a contributing factor. By 1990, Bridge 9340 had already been rated as structurally deficient. According to the Virginia Department of Transportation, Structurally deficient is defined as bridges are considered structurally deficient if they have been restricted to light vehicles, closed to traffic, or require rehabilitation. Structurally deficient means there are elements of the bridge that need to be monitored and or repaired. In 2001, studies conducted by the Civil Engineering Department at the University of Montana found damage along the cross girders at the end of the approach spans. The main trusses where these cross girders connected were found to have developed stress fractures. The situation was addressed prior to the study by drilling the cracks to prevent further propagation and adding support struts to the cross girder to prevent further distortion. The report also noted a concern about lack of redundancy in the main truss system, which meant the bridge had a greater risk of collapse in the event of any single structural failure. Although the report concluded that the bridge should not have any problems with fatigue cracking in the foreseeable future, Regular inspection, structural health monitoring, and the use of strain gauges had been suggested. This disaster could have been prevented well in advance, but instead of replacing the bridge, rehabilitative measures were employed. In 2005, a mere two years before the disaster, Bridge 9340 was once again rated structurally deficient. This time, damage had grown and had been noted in two consecutive inspection reports, the first one in 2005 and the second in 2006. Once again, the bridge was recommended to be retired and replaced due to the rate at which this bridge was degrading. The I-35 West Bridge ranked near the bottom of federal inspection ratings nationwide. Bridge inspectors use a sufficiency rating that ranges from the highest score, 100, to the lowest score, 0. In 2005, they rated the bridge at 50, indicating that replacement may have been in order. Out of over 100,000 heavily used bridges, only about 4% scored below 50. On a separate measure, the I-35 West Bridge was rated structurally deficient, but was deemed to have met minimum tolerable limits to be left in place as it is. In December 2006, a steel reinforcement project was planned for the bridge. However, the following month in January 2007, the project was canceled in favor of periodic safety inspections after engineers realized that drilling for the retrofit would in fact weaken the bridge. 
and internal Department of Transportation documents, bridge officials talked about the possibility of the bridge collapsing and worried that they might have to condemn it. The construction taking place in the weeks prior to the collapse included joint work and replacing lighting, concrete, and guardrails. At the time of the collapse, four of the eight lanes were closed for resurfacing, and there were 575 thousands of construction supplies and equipment on the bridge. In August of 2007, then-Governor Tim Pawlenty stated that the bridge was due to be replaced in 2020. Another 13 years. Now, in my expert opinion here, I don't think this bridge could have lasted another three months, let alone another 13 years. The complete lack of regard for human life here is apparent. Instead of just agreeing to replace the bridge, rehabilitative measures took precedent and would ultimately be the reason the bridge collapsed. On August 1st, 2007, at approximately 6.05 p.m. Central Daylight Time, the bridge collapsed, taking with it 13 lives and injuring another 145. Immediately following the collapse, bystanders jumped into action to aid those needing rescue. First responders from Hennepin County also responded, as well as several adjoining counties responding to provide mutual aid. At both ends of the bridge, triage areas were placed to help those affected to be quickly evaluated and transported to local area hospitals if injuries dictated so. Due to a shortage of ambulances, many were transported by truck as well. It took less than 90 minutes to triage those affected by the collapse. Minneapolis Mayor R.T. Ryback and Governor Tim Pawlenty issued a state of emergency, allowing additional statewide personnel to respond. The response overall was swift and successful. Minneapolis Fire Department personnel arrived in six minutes and took 81 minutes to triage and transport 145 patients with the help of Hennepin County Medical Center, North Memorial, and Alina Paramedics. By the next morning, they had shifted their focus to the recovery of bodies with several vehicles known to be trapped under the debris and several people still unaccounted for. 20 divers organized by the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office used side-scan sonar to locate vehicles submerged in the murky water. Their efforts were hampered by debris and challenging currents. The United States Army Corps of Engineers lowered the river by two feet downriver at Ford Dam to allow easier access to vehicles in the water. Carl Bolander & Sons, a St. Paul-based earthworks and demolition company, brought in several cranes and other heavy machinery to assist in clearing debris for rescue workers. The recovery phase from this disaster commenced nearly immediately and would last weeks as divers from both the U.S. Navy and a specialized search team from the FBI would assist in recovering those lost beneath the surface of the water. This recovery process would take over three weeks and would require the United States Army Corps of Engineers to reduce the water levels by two feet to aid in this process. 75 local, state, and federal agencies were involved in the rescue and recovery, including emergency personnel and volunteers from the counties of Anoka, Carver, Dakota, Hennepin, Olmstead, Ramsey, Scott, Washington, Winona and Wright, and Minnesota, and St. Croix County, Wisconsin, and St. Croix EMS and Rescue Dive Team, and others stood by. Federal assistance came from the United States Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, the United States Army Corps of Engineers, and the United States Coast Guard. Following the recovery and subsequent demolition of the portions of bridge that did not collapse, the United States Congress voted unanimously to allocate $250 million in emergency relief funds to be used in lieu of cleanup and for the design of the new bridge. The investigation as to why Bridge 9340 collapsed was undertaken by the National Transportation Safety Board and was expected to last around 18 months. 
In addition to the NTSB leading the federal investigation, the engineering firm, WIS, Janney, Elster, and Associates, would provide specialized analysis. Following the investigation, the NTSB released their findings on November 13, 2008. The primary cause of the collapse was found to be the undersized gusset plates, which only measured at half an inch thick, or 13 millimeters. Contributing to that design or construction error was the fact that two inches or 51 millimeters of concrete had been added to the road surface over the years, increasing the static load by 20%. Another factor was the extraordinary weight of construction equipment and material resting on the bridge just above its weakest point at the time of collapse. That load was estimated to be 578,000 pounds or 262 tons, consisting of sand, water, and vehicles. The NTSB determined that corrosion was not a significant contributor, but that inspectors did not routinely check the safety features were functional. So where does the real fault lie here? In the original designers of the bridge that only built to 1961 specifications, or the inspectors tasked with inspecting and ensuring the safe operation of Bridge 9340? To me, this feels like everyone involved should at least hold some level of responsibility. This bridge was deemed structurally deficient twice in three separate reports. Why, at this point, was something not done? This is why I always say that anthropogenic disasters can always be prevented. But due to our ignorance as human beings, we try to find an easier fix than face the challenging one that would remedy the problem for good. Lives are on the line, and that only seems to matter once said lives are lost. Following the removal of the remains of Bridge 9340, a replacement bridge named the St. Anthony Falls Bridge would be built in a fairly quick amount of time, opening in September 2008. This new bridge carries an average of 168,000 cars per day and was built with mass transportation in mind. Meetings between state transportation officials, Ryback, State Transportation Commissioner Carol Monau, and Governor Tim Pawlenty yielded a desire to build a 10-lane bridge that would last 100 years, with the possibility of bus rapid transit or light rail lines. Ryback said transit needs to play some role in this or otherwise we would need to build a much wider bridge in the future. Construction commenced in October of 2007, following a rather quick planning process. This event had several different instances where this disaster could have been prevented. Had the bridge been adequately designed, it's likely the collapse wouldn't have happened. From the Minnesota Department of Transportation taking over the inspection and maintenance process in the 1990s, negligence was at every corner. Three separate inspection reports found failing construction that necessitated the bridge to be replaced. We here in the United States face aging critical infrastructure each day, whether it be turning on a television, driving on the interstate, or crossing a bridge. There is a true problem, and it revolves around effective maintenance of the critical infrastructure here in the United States. Thank you for listening to the show this week. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to leave a rating and a comment if you'd like. Be sure to follow the show and share it with those around you. If you are a true fan of the show, go pick up some merch. As I said earlier in the show, all revenue made from the show for the remainder of this season will be donated to an LGBTQ charity of your choice. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.